Hello everybody, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. On this nice last Friday in April, we're going to talk NBA playoffs with Brandon Marcus. Host of Mostly Banner, he's going to come on first. That's a podcast he does. He's also the voice of Cal State Northridge Baseball and Softball, calling games on the radio for them. We're going to talk about all the storylines, including the teams that have moved down. We recorded that on a Wednesday night before both the Raptors and Spurs punch their tickets into the next round. So we'll talk about all the hot storylines in the NBA. And then I'm going to share my thoughts on the NHL playoffs. It's the second round, eight teams left. And they've all played their opening games in that series. Some interesting developments. Three teams on the road win. I'll break down all that and more with what's going on in the world of hockey. It's the Money Mitch Effect. Hope you're feeling good because I'm feeling good. And it's time to start the show. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, reoccurring guest friend of the show, voice of Cal State Northridge baseball, softball, basketball, and former coworker of mine at NFL Network, Brandon Marcus. Thanks for joining the show. What's up, dude? Glad to be back. It's I think this isn't with this now fourth time, third we're, time. We're getting up there. We're in like four or five. This is uh, you know like Rocky Four range. So yeah, might listen. Be, yeah, we might be doing this in Russia sometime soon, but. In all seriousness, <laughs> we'll talk about NBA playoffs. You're a basketball fan like myself, and it's been an interesting first couple of days. Brandon, I want to start, sadly, with your Clipper team. We're recording no. on a Wednesday on the heels of what was last night's Game 5 where the Jazz knock off the Clippers. And, Brandon, of all the first-round series, I pointed to this one as the most unpredictable one, the one that was the hardest to get a, get a gauge on how this would turn out. But I don't think any of us saw this turning into a war of attrition. This is literally a last-man-standing match. Yeah, it's ugly. It's not the way you want to see a playoff series go. I mean, right away, within the first 15 seconds, Rudy Gobert goes down, and he's been the second-best player for Utah all year. And he's a guy that will probably see himself on one of the three All-NBA teams. So he goes down. And then, of course, you have Blake who goes down. Austin Rivers didn't even get a chance to play until finally yesterday. It's every single player is somehow staying alive in this series, yeah. despite the fact that the basketball gods want to curse this entire series. Yeah, and you had the Hayward food poisoning, too. In yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, what the heck? Was Chris Paul's dealing with. I'm sure he's got, he's got some sort of injury because it seems like he's always dealing with something. But it's, it's unfortunate because it's not the way you want to see a playoff series go down. You want to see the best players go against each other. And in this case, that's just not occurring because Gobert didn't appear until, I think it was game four he came back, and Blake's out for the rest of the playoffs. Right. It's an unfortunate set of circumstances. We want to see best versus best at this level, though I think other fans of other sports would argue that this is how it works. You're not always going to see best versus best. You're going to see what you see, who's healthy, luck is part of it. And switching back, Brandon, to the action on the floor, you know, it's still 3-2. The Clippers have to go to Utah now and try to force a Game 7. But if they lose this series, I think you can look back to blown opportunities. I mean, they had real chances to win a lot of these games that they've lost. In the fourth quarter, Games 4 and 5 specifically, and you could go back to Game 1, and they just didn't get it done come crunch time. Are, are you surprised by this? And do you think you can point to one reason why that was the case? I'm surprised and I'm not surprised. Um, I'm surprised because... 
This is a team that's been there over the last several years, so you would think that they'd be able to come up with the big stop defensively and get the big basket. And we saw Chris Paul do that in the first several games, and there's only so much he can do. And what really annoyed me as a fan yesterday, and I don't know how you saw it as an actual just basketball fan on an outsider perspective, but neither team could do anything in that third quarter, and it was terrible. Yeah, it was bad. And for the Clippers, inexcusable that you can go seven minutes and only get one or two field goals. Like, that's where you really miss Blake Griffin because he's a guy that you can throw it to down low and get you the easy bucket. And I was looking at the guys on the floor when Chris Paul was sitting out, and I'm trying to think, who's going to get you the points? Because Jamal Crawford had a great game four. He was not good in game five. So if he's off, Raymond Felton's not a guy that's going to get you an easy bucket. Luke Bamute is not going to get you an easy bucket. Spates isn't. Pierce isn't. DeAndre Jordan isn't. So where are you going to go to get points? And for the Clippers, that has seemed to be the problem. And offensively with them, it's the same old song over the last several years where the offense is not a true offense. You want to see ball movement. You want to see pick and roll. That has not been the case over the last few years with the Clippers. All of a sudden, when the playoffs happen – You look at a team like Golden State, and Curry will only have the ball for two or three seconds. He's getting rid of it, and it's going around the horn, whether it be to Draymond, whether it be to Clay. For the Clippers, it's in one guy's hand. They're going ISO, and it's not working. And that's one issue with this offense over the last several years that just hasn't been fixed. And so that's why I'm not surprised that they're currently in that 3-2 hole. Yeah, they do rely too much on Chris Paul to create. It, it, it seems to me, like Utah, while they're not flashy at all, and that's an understatement, at times they can get stagnant too, but I think they have a system that, while is boring, it works. They like to pound it inside to go bare when he is healthy, favors is another post player there. But then you get to the Joe Johnson factor where he's still able to play iso ball. And I think where the hell did he come from? <laughs> I was... You know what's interesting about that, though? This is a guy that's been in the league for about 18 years now. He's Dude, he's been on the, in the league ever since like you had the Steve Nash Suns. People yeah. forget that. that. Joe Johnson was a huge part of that Suns team, and here he is all of a sudden doing nothing in the regular season. I mean, this guy did not do much at all during the regular season. He had a couple good games, but he's the go-to guy. I mean, screw Gordon Hayward. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's ISO Joe. If I hear ISO Joe one more time, I'm going to kill myself. Well, but Joe Johnson getting the ball every yeah. single time they need a basket, and they didn't miss yesterday. Well, Brandon, I think, too, what helps, and the only reason this is possible, is the other guys on that team that are important figures in that backcourt, George Hill, Gordon Hayward, they're allowing him to do this. There, there's no resistance. I always thought that in an ideal situation, Joe Johnson is able to have the ball a lot. He needs teammates that are unbelievably unselfish, and I think – that's what these two guys are. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is hard to explain. I think, look, I think, too, Brandon, he's just like the rest of this Jazz team. They're just exploiting matchups. I mean, I don't know that he has success this next round when there's bigger guys to guard him if they do make it. But when you have Jamal Crawford guarding him on the perimeter, I mean, that was – I mean, we all saw that coming a mile away in game one. Yeah, and, I mean, Paul Pierce did a decent job. But how much are you actually going to rely on Paul Pierce? I mean, he played a lot in the first half and all of a sudden – He saw his minutes just decrease in the second half. But to your point, and you bring up a good one, Joe Johnson's a guy that has surrounding pieces that are allowing him to do this. Now, next round, when Utah faces Golden State, if that's what happens, instead of Joe Johnson taking those shots, he can easily penetrate, 
try to go ISO, and then pass it out to those shooters, whether it be Gordon Hayward, whether it be George Hill, whether it be Joe Ingles. He's got guys around him. That's the difference between the Clippers and the Jazz. Yeah, Rodney Hood's been knocking down threes. Yeah. You know what, though, Brandon? I don't want to bring up another sore spot, but it just makes perfect sense, given what's happened with the Clippers, their postseason struggles, that Joe Ingles is the guy that's been carving him up, a guy that was cut by that same Clippers team. I mean, you can't write this stuff. No, I remember him during Summer League, and how perfect would he be with the Clippers right now? He's a guy that is a 2-3 that also can handle the ball and gives some stress relief to Chris Paul, and then you can come in and play him with a J.J. Redick if you want to have him at the 3, or if you want J.J. to sit, you can put him at the 2 and go a little bit bigger. He provides so much versatility to an offense, and he's another guy that he's been solid throughout the year. But he's doing a really nice job in this series. Well, we'll see what happens. Game six coming up in Utah should be a good one if the Clippers can fight on. Or, you know, now one and eleven now in game fives with the series is tied two two. That is just insane. That's can't even believe that that's a stat. But all right, Brandon Marcus, Money Mitch effect. Let's talk about another the other Western Conference series still going on. Surprisingly to some. But the Grizzlies have made this a series with the Spurs. San Antonio loses games three and four. They win game five at home, the home team winning every game in that series. And, Brandon, I'll point it to you. Are you surprised that we're still playing basketball in this series? I mean, people had written off Memphis a long time ago, especially when Tony Allen got hurt. No, just because I've seen what Memphis has done the last several years. I mean, the Clippers seem to play against them every single year. And Memphis is as pesky of a team as it comes. I mean, they're called the grindhouse squad for a reason and i just love mike conley i love marcus Gasol, i love zach randolph all three of those guys are just straight up ballers and they come to play they play hard they don't give excuses and give credit to fizdale he's done a nice job with this team i mean remember lionel hollins had this team a couple of years ago and he was doing a pretty good job of getting them to be that four or five seed but couldn't get him over the hump so fizdale all of a sudden he's playing with a san antonio team that is not the youngest San Antonio team. I mean, you have Kawhi Leonard. LaMarcus Aldridge is good, but he's not a great player now. There's not a ton around him. So this is a San Antonio team that's a little bit flawed from teams that we've seen in years past. Yeah, I think for Memphis's case, they have the experience. They, they're just a tough out. You, you know they're going to play the full 48 minutes. We've seen that in games that San Antonio has won where they get up by big leads and Memphis continues to make a game out of it. You know, in the Fizdale, everyone wants to talk about, you know, I thought the rant was great. I mean, great from an entertainment standpoint to take that for data stuff. But he knew what he was doing. He was trying to get his team motivated because they were giving up down the stretch in the first two games. And, and without that speech, I don't think we're having this conversation right now. No, this is a battle of coaching. I mean, look what Pop did in game three. He benched his starters. Mm-hmm. He was so pissed with how they were playing. It's like these coaches are actually coaching which is one thing you don't see from a ton of coaches during the playoffs. It's a lot of, hey, let's give the reins to our point guard or to our best player and just see what happens. But these guys are actually coaching on and off the court. And for Popovich, it's a guy that's been there before, and so I don't think he's scared in the position that he's in right now. But at the same time, it's a Memphis team that has really fought with them over the last several years. And so I'm not surprised to see Memphis at this point. But the question is, do they have enough in them? Is there enough there? Can they win game six in Memphis 
And then can they also win game seven? I just don't think they can, but give credit to them for putting up a fight. Right, and I think San Antonio is having the problem. I mean, they're still figuring out the balance between Kawhi Leonard, superstar, this is his team, and and, and still incorporating in the role players. Game four, Kawhi goes crazy down the stretch, forces overtime, but they lose that game in part because nobody else was stepping up. Game five, it was kind of the other way. Patty Mills exploded. Kawhi didn't have to do as much. But you don't know if you can expect that every game. I wouldn't think you can. So I think if they find that balance, they'll be in better shape. But there are, as you said, some flaws with this team. And, and I think you know forcing a Game 7 is one thing, but to win Game 6 and 7 against San Antonio back-to-back is pretty tough. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. But again, with a little trend that we've been talking about, it's the depth and the role players. And it's not just one player. And for San Antonio... They can go to Tony Parker one game, then they can go to Patty Mills the next. They can go to Danny Green. They can go to Jonathan Simmons. You have a Pau Gasol. You have a LaMarcus Aldridge. You have Kawhi Leonard. You have so many different pieces that other teams don't have. And I think San Antonio eventually in a seven-game series will be able to beat Memphis. But in one game, we've seen what could happen. But if you have seven games, which is what this is, it's best four to seven. And San Antonio is just the better team. Yeah, well... (laughs) It's still an entertaining series, and we'll see how much more basketball we have. We're going to continue. We're going to switch over to the East now, Brandon, and talk about some of the series still going on before we you know, put the nail on the coffin of the teams that have already advanced. And the one in the East that's still going on I really want to get your perspective on is that Toronto-Milwaukee series. This is as hard, in my opinion, of a series to get a tell on. It seems like each game is uniquely different to the one before it. I mean, I, I, every game to me, Brandon, I don't know how you've seen it, is just entirely new. Toronto up 3-2 to two now. They put together maybe their best game of the playoffs, beating Milwaukee in Game 5, but there's still no reason for me to think that they're out of the woods just yet. No, and either one of these teams could end up winning the series. It's crazy because coming into this series, there were a lot of people that were talking about Giannis and the type of superstar he is and the next level that he could get to in this series. And we saw very early on what he was capable of in the first two games. Now, on the other side of things, with Toronto, I thought they're a team that could easily make the NBA Finals. Call me crazy, but I thought they made the move to get P.J. Tucker to guard LeBron. They have Kyle Lowry. They have DeRozan. They have Ibaka. They have Valanciunas. They have a really good squad. So I thought they were deep enough. They were balanced enough to make a run. And so all of a sudden, they lose those first couple games. You're wondering, what in the hell is going on and then Milwaukee just completely flops yesterday I thought for sure Milwaukee would keep it close it's a game that was potentially there for the taking early but Toronto just ended up capitalizing on every single turnover and that's one thing that separates the two teams is that Toronto's acting like they've been there before and Milwaukee's acting like they haven't but Milwaukee's a good team Again, I think it's another team that I don't think has enough experience to end up winning a series because I think Toronto will end up winning it because they've sort of been there over the last couple of years. But again, it's one that can go either way. And one thing that kind of intrigues me, I'm curious to get your take, is Toronto a team now that has been exposed because they lose those first couple of games. Milwaukee blows their doors off in game two, I believe. So are they exposed? Are they now a team that you look at and – say, all right, they have no chance to make it, or are they a team that could easily flip the switch? Well, here's how I answer that. I don't think you're crazy in your original assertion that they could make the finals. 
and I'm going to parlay that with saying I don't think they're exposed. This is just kind of who Toronto is. For whatever reason, they don't focus coming into a series game one. They overlook opponents. This has happened for years now where they've lost the game they should at home to start a series when they're the favorite. They're almost better suited for that underdog role. I, I think it was a matchup problem. I think some of the moves they made were, and a lot of teams you know in the West with Golden State run into the problem of, we're going to build this team to beat such and such. The Raptors are building their team to beat Cleveland. Well, the playoffs don't work the way that you just get to face Cleveland. They had to play some Milwaukee team that did some things they weren't really used to, and they came out with a lot of energy, a, a team that was down Jabari Parker, not really expected to finish as high as six, and they came out and played very well. I think we're starting to see a young team, though. We're seeing a team that doesn't have as much shooting as you probably need. Giannis is getting frustrated at times. A lot of high-potential players like Brogdon and Thonmaker that just aren't quite ready to take that next step and be consistent players. So I don't know that Toronto is exposed. I think they're going to have their hands full with Cleveland whether, whether or not they're, they're playing their best. But I think this series, to me, just illustrates how Toronto can be inconsistent. And the one thing I'll say, too, is Kyle Lowry is finally starting to look good. Game 5 was the first game that I thought he was back to being Kyle Lowry, and that's huge because without that, no chance against Cleveland. No, you have to have Lowry locked in. And same with DeRozan. Those two guys have to be scorers, a la John Wall and Bradley Beal. You need those two guys contributing, and you bring up a funny point with Milwaukee and Jabari Parker. Can you imagine this team with Jabari Parker healthy, and then also Chris Middleton healthy. Yeah. You have Giannis, Middleton, Parker. And then you also have Thon Maker. You have Brogdon. You have a really young, good team. They're going to be scary in a couple of years. This is very, um, I don't want to say Oklahoma City-ish, but we're getting to that point where we're, we're starting to think in a couple of years there's no excuses for this team to not be in the conference finals and pushing for the finals year in and year out. But I just don't think they're ready just yet, and I really do like, agree with you. I like the P.J. Tucker acquisition. I don't think that got enough press. They need guys that are mean out there, you know, Ibaka to, to be big inside because, as we've seen, you're not beating Cleveland or Golden State at their game, but if you change things up, you might have a chance. Yeah, and they can go big. They can go small. I mean, you can play Ibaka and Valanciunas next to each other, or you can go small with just Ibaka, bring in a guy like Patrick Patterson. You can bring in P.J. Tucker. I mean, you've got some talent there, and you can adjust and play small or also play bigger. And Toronto's a team that has two very good guards, and you need good guards slash wing players in the playoffs. And the question is, can Lowry and DeRozan keep it up? Because they're going to have to. Let's keep it moving on the Money Mitch Effect. Brandon Marcus, another Eastern Conference series, a score that went final tonight with the Wizards beating the Hawks, 103-99, another series that's 3-2 and another series where the home team has won every game. Brandon, a lot of people were high on the Wizards before the Celtics ran into some trouble with the, with the Chicago with that series still going on. They got up 2-0. Everyone was looking at them as a trendy pick to make some noise in the East, but they lose two games in Atlanta. The first thing that jumps out to me with this Wizards team is the wall Beale domination. But the second thing is just how bad their bench is. I, I didn't get a chance to see them play that much this season, but their bench is absolutely dreadful. Well, the thing with the Wizards is they ended up actually getting Bogdanovich at the deadline, and so they actually got a good piece off the bench, a good three-point shooter. And finally, today, he actually contributed because he had done nothing in the playoffs. I mean, he had 14 points today, and then Brandon Jennings is a guy that they also acquired when he was waived by the Knicks. So they boosted their bench a little bit. Kelly Oubre is a decent player. But before those guys got there, 
both Bogdanovich and Jennings, they had nothing. Mm-hmm. So now they actually have three players, but still, I don't think to your point that they still go deep enough. They probably have eight guys and only seven you can trust. But again, with Bogdanovich, Jennings, and Ubre, there's no one there that's going to get you the shot that you need it like Bradley Beal and John Wall can do. So they run into issues when you have to go to your bench. But luckily, in the NBA playoffs, you're only playing your bench for about five or six minutes. And then you're bringing in your stars if that's how you want to play it because that's what they're capable of doing. I mean, John Wall only needs to sit from, let's say, the beginning of the second quarter until the seven-minute mark. And then you can go and play the rest of the way because there's so many damn TV timeouts. And these guys are resting more than you actually think. I mean, Chris Paul, I think, rested for five minutes of actual um, game time, which turned into like 20 real minutes. Wow. And so it's more than you think. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I think Bogdanovich is the guy they got to improve their bench. And Atlanta is a weird team. They're definitely not consistent. No one really views them as a threat. I think Schroeder has played very well. I mean, pleasantly surprised with how he's played at point guard, keeping up with John Wall. Uh, this was, to me, more of a test to see how Washington can defend, and and I'm kind of mixed reviews on there because when all said and done, Brandon, and I don't know how far this Wizards team can go, but offensively, they're a matchup problem for any of the other top three teams in the Eastern Conference. It's going to be hard for Cleveland, Toronto, and or Boston to defend them, I think, with the Wall-Beal combination for how good they play and how they play with each other. But I don't know, man. I think this could be a tricky Wizards team. They're they're one that I'm not sure if they're mentally as tough as you need to be to win a conference. They might have the best all-around starting five in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I know, of course, you have Irving to go along with LeBron and Love. So you have those three there. But that starting lineup of Beal and Wall and then the forwards of Porter and Morris, when Morris is actually on and not busy just yapping and flapping his gums, and then Gortat. I mean, it's a solid starting five and one that's going to make some noise. But what's interesting with Atlanta is they're another good team. I think the East this year was better than people thought because they're looking good in the postseason. I mean, Atlanta's even got some good pieces there with Millsap and Hardaway and Schroeder. And then, of course, you have Dwight. And then Prince came on of late. And then, of course, you have guys like Bazemore off the bench. So, again, Atlanta's another team that – you look at their starting five, you don't say that guy sucks. Like yeah. they all have good pieces and guys are going to score. But the question is, can they have enough scores? Are they going to have that guy to get you a bucket? Because Beal and Wall will get you the bucket. But for Atlanta, can Millsap get you the bucket? Can Schroeder get you the bucket? That's the thing. Yeah, it's weird that they punted on Kyle Korver to Cleveland, oddly enough. And yeah. I don't know that they expected to finish as high as fifth in the conference, but here they are. I still like. Washington to close this one out, but Atlanta, yeah, it, it, they have been better than a lot of people have thought, at least through five games. And then lastly, Brandon, the last Eastern Conference series we want to discuss, Chicago and Boston. <laughs> you don't see too many series where the road team the road team wins the first four games. we got a barn burner as we're recording this right now in game five, but it is two to two. Boston's up a little bit late in the fourth of game five, but Brandon, I, I know Isaiah Thomas is going through through the absolute worst situation you can imagine losing the passing of his sister, but to me, this series changed on the medical news that Rajon Rondo was out game three, game four, now game five. Not sure about the sixth one, but that changed the entire series to me. He was doing whatever he wanted on the floor on both ends, and when he was out, the Bulls just did not have anything to fill the void that he left. 
Oh, 100%. A series is probably over in five or six if he doesn't get hurt. But then he gets hurt, and all of a sudden, they've got nothing at the point guard position. I mean, they do not do not have a backup. And it's funny because earlier in the year, Rondo was actually in the second unit, and Hoiberg refused to start him. Finally, he made the move to put him in the starting lineup, and the team was so much better. Obviously, they lost Wade for a part of that. But still, like you, when you have Rondo, you have Wade, you have Butler – you have three really good pieces, and Boston's just a lot of good to mediocre guys. There's no one that's great on that team. Isaiah Thomas is very good, and he's been great in the fourth quarter. But like you said, he's a guy that is dealing with some major family stuff right now, and I can only imagine how difficult that is. And so on the Chicago side of things, you win those first two games. All of a sudden, you find out Rondo's out, and frankly, I think he's back for game six. I think that he'll be back for game six. I think they'll win game six in Chicago. I'm going to go ahead and assume they lose game five. But if they do go ahead and win game six, it'll be interesting to see what happens in game seven. Because if Rondo's there, then it's anybody's ball game. So for Jean Rondo, who's one of the one of the poor free throw shooters, for a guard at least, is yeah. playing game, five, game six with a cast on his shooting hand. Wouldn't you just follow him? Like, <laughs> just employ the hacker Rondo all game? Yeah, it's a possibility, but at the same time, then you allow them to set up their defense. Yeah, right. So that's, that's, that's the only difficult thing. And then how many fouls do you have to give? I don't think you can actually do that. But with Rondo, the interesting thing is that he's someone that was just basically given away, that nobody really wanted him. I mean, how bad was he in Dallas last year? Sacramento. Rick Rick want yeah. nothing to do with him. And all of a sudden, he comes to Chicago, and who would have thought that he would be the reason why Chicago had a chance to beat Boston? And then he gets hurt, and all of a sudden, he's the reason why they're going to lose mm-hmm. to Boston because he's out. I mean, since when is Rondo an MVP? But just, he's yeah. the missing piece. Yeah, it just changed everything. I mean, even defensively, being able to guard Isaiah Thomas, and then then the Bulls could save Jimmy Butler for pressure moments. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't really have a guy like Butler guard him the whole game. And the shooting side of it, too, for Chicago, I mean, they're just, they've been dreadful shooting three-pointers. We knew Wade wasn't the best. Butler takes on so much the brunt of the offense. It's funny that a guy that could help them right now was a throw-in in another trade, Doug McDermott. I mean, if they had him, he might be a better shooting option at the three-point line. And Boston, to me, I mean, you've got Isaiah Thomas, who's, you know, we wonder on all these teams who the guy is that's going to be able to get him a bucket when they need it. And Isaiah's 5'9", you know-ish. They don't really have that next, that normal that bigger size score that they can count on in pressure moments i think they're a funny and a streaky team in that regard boston's well coached with brad stevens i think they're they're capable of beating anybody in one game but if they're if they get by chicago which it looks like they might do now there's still some long-term flaws you talk about a team being exposed brandon it could have been the celtics in the first round more than anybody else yeah and they have those pieces of thomas and bradley and horford so they've got those three guys but in the regular season they kind of relied more on Jay Crowder hoping that he would give them something he hasn't given them as much as I think they hoped for and then same with Marcus Smart he's been kind of garbage in this series I don't know where he went but he hasn't done very much Jalen Brown hasn't even really played much when he was a pretty big piece of what they were doing so all of a sudden the bench is getting shorter and there's not that many guys you can count on how many games is Kelly Olynyk going to blow up in it's not going to happen that often but they're a good team, and again, it's another team that's balanced, and that seems to be the trend in the East. You look at the starting fives, 
And there isn't really a huge difference between Boston, Atlanta, Washington, Toronto. Like all those teams seem very similar. You can even throw Milwaukee in that mix. It just, there's no real team that sticks out as the one that's going to end up really doing much. And that's why you have to think that Cleveland will just go all the way. Right. You know, I think that was the, the process, the, the thought process for these teams, like let's just create a balanced team, hope we can catch lightning in a bottle, make life difficult for Cleveland, and see if we can overcome. And, and that's a good segue because we're going to talk about the other three series that are done on the Money Mitch Effect with Brandon Marcus talking NBA first-round playoff action. Cleveland swept by the Pacers, Brandon, but not the sweep that we maybe thought we would see or you would expect to see. Every one of those games was close. I think six was the largest margin of victory. There was that horrible collapse by the Pacers in game three where they blew a 25-point second half lead. Do you come out of this series with Cleveland thinking, feeling better about their chances, worse about defending their title? It's weird because if you listen to the media types, they'll now say, all right, Cleveland has no chance. It's a team that got exposed in the first round. Dude, they still have got LeBron. I mean, as long as you have LeBron... You have a chance to win every single game in every single series. And sure, their defense was god-awful. I mean, they didn't look great in a lot of different stretches. But they still have Kyrie, LeBron, and Love. And as long as they have those three guys, they're going to be a problem. I mean, Indiana's not bad. Jeff Teague is good. Miles Turner's good. Paul George is very good. I mean, they have pieces to run and compete with Cleveland. But in the end... I think the Cavs are just going to end up being the better team. Sure, you can say, all right, maybe they got exposed a little bit because their defense hasn't been great. But then again, which team's going to make them pay? And there are going to be a lot of teams that are going to get into track meets with Cleveland. But do you really want to do that? Do you want to have LeBron coming up and down the floor and driving on you every single possession? Because if you slow it down, then maybe things get more advantageous for a team like Toronto that can rely on their defense and get that bucket. But I just don't know if any team can actually beat Cleveland. It sounds like Toronto would be your pick if you had to pick one with the best chance out of all the the other teams. Yeah, I think so. But then again, Washington. I mean, if you look look at Wall and Beal, who's going to guard both of them? You know, and and that's it. And that's it, Brandon, because I think – I won't say exposed. I don't want to talk about that because their defense has looked suspect down the stretch. This wasn't anything new. They have some issues on the defensive end to work out. They still have LeBron James. They still have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. And that lineup when it's LeBron and just a bunch of shooters is basically unguardable. There will be questions about how they defend, but we're not going to know anything one way or the other until they get there. So the funny thing, though, Brandon, the one thing that maybe not blowing out this Pacers team did or didn't do they weren't really able to rest LeBron. He's played a lot of minutes, and I know he's basically superhuman at this point, but they still haven't really been able to give him that rest, and that's the one thing I don't know if we'll ever start to see the mileage build up, but you know, it might be getting there based on the mileage that he's put on just this season alone. Well, that's why the sweep was so big. I mean, you win all four games, so now you have a chance to rest. I mean, I don't even remember the last time Cleveland played. I think it was like four or five Sunday? days ago. Yeah, I think it was Sunday. Yeah, so it's been a while, so now they're going to have a chance – to rest even longer. I don't think that they'll end up playing until probably this weekend. And so if that's the case and you give LeBron about a week rest, that's really all he needs. That's plenty of time to rest up. And so if they keep sweeping teams, then LeBron will be fine. But again, with the defense side of things, with Wall and Beal, you have Kyrie and then what, J.R. Smith? You have Iman Shumpert. 
because I think you're going to end up having to put LeBron in one of these guards because it seems like a lot of these different teams have guards that can cause problems, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to end up happening. Yeah, and we've even seen Shumpert get some uh, DNPs in there too. So the, the rotation's still being tweaked. I think that's part of it, and we'll see what Ty Lue does. I do want to mention quickly the most dominant performance in the first round, Golden State sweeping Portland, but game four, Brandon, I don't know if you saw that, but the first quarter of that game was just a bloodbath. I mean, that didn't even look fair. That looked like a varsity versus JV team out there. This team, we know how scary they are, and we know what their – we think we know now what their ceiling is, but that's a scary thing, Brandon, because we don't know if we can put a cap on what Golden State's capable of. I think we saw their ceiling in that first quarter and what they could do. So. A team that, yeah, a team that can score 40 points in a quarter. Honestly, the only thing that's going to set them back a little bit would be Steve Kerr. I mean, it sucks to see him having to go through all this again because he's a guy that really deserves to be there during this run. But with Golden State – and we circle it back all the way to the beginning of our conversation with the Clippers, Golden State's a team that passes the ball. I mean, they run an offense, and it's touch pass, touch pass, touch pass. Curry to Thompson to Green to Iguodala to Draymond down to Pachulia, whoever the hell it is. They just do a great job of passing the ball and finding the open man. And there are so many shooters that they do such a good job. And I don't think Draymond's going to have all these great games once we continue to go through the playoffs, I don't think he's a guy that is going to be consistent enough. But I don't think that's going to matter because as long as you have Steph and Clay and you have Durant, all you really need. Yeah, it's it's almost disheartening for fans of the rest of the team to see them peak at that level. I know Portland's a young team that battled just to get that eight seed and had the Nurkic injury that really affected them. I think Golden State, how unselfish they are, how Durant and Curry and Klay Thompson, who doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves, are able to just go long stretches without being the focal point of the offense, and it doesn't bother them. But Kerr being out, and, and that's an awful situation, whether or not you root for the team, you got to wish that guy well in that situation. But him being out, they, they hire Mike Brown, which made perfect sense in retrospect. They wanted somebody with head coaching experience in case something like this were to happen. I think Kerr's vision still on this team. I don't think this is going to affect them too much. He's still able to, to interact with the team and you know before and afterwards. And Brown's a guy that I know he's gotten a lot of flack, a lot of it's deserved, about some of his decision-making. But in terms of just knowing the ins and outs of being a head coach and how to implement a game plan, I think he could do way worse than Mike Brown in this situation given what's happened to Coach Steve Kerr. 100%. He's a guy that, remember, I think he's led Cleveland to the finals. I'm not sure if he actually won a finals with them? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so you have Mike Brown, who's been there before. Obviously, he struggled with the Lakers. But then again, who hasn't struggled with the Lakers over the last like five or six years? They've been a team that just hasn't been that great. So he, he'll be fine. Um, the one thing is that's interesting about Golden State, and we're kind of seeing it on display, and it's tough to kind of see from an outsider perspective, but I can understand it, is that they're saying Golden State – is going to end up being in the finals anyway. So what's the point of the NBA? I mean, it's obviously a bigger topic, and you and I can go on and on about this, but you're a big NHL guy, and you don't know who's going to be in the Stanley Cup. You know that with 95% positivity, it'll be Golden State. That'll be in the finals. And most likely they're going to win it. That's the one thing about basketball is that you struggle to find a real desire to watch if you're an outsider because you already know what's going to happen. Right, it's. I think the fact that I can, with ninety-five 
to 100% certainty give you three, four teams, and they're going to win the title. Just yeah. them. And then you'd be right most of the, pretty much all the time. Um, I think you, you watch it, you watch the first and second round just to see trends of those contenders and see some exciting series. But ultimately, you know, it, it's the only sport where you can't really be the last one in with a realistic chance of winning the title. It happens in literally every other sport except the NBA for whatever reason. And that's actually a good way to wrap up this conversation, Brandon, with the Rockets and the Thunder series that just went final yesterday with the Rockets winning four games to one. I know Russell Westbrook's as polarizing as a guy as there is in sports, Brandon, and I don't want to go the route of a backhanded compliment where I say he's amazing to watch and then immediately rip him, but for as skilled and as passionate of a basketball player as he is, I don't know how you can reasonably expect that formula to ever win you anything where he shoots 15 to 20 times in one quarter. No, and it's not team basketball. and I mean, that's the issue. One guy cannot win you a series. He can win you one or two games, but he can't win you a series. I mean, we're seeing that with a guy like Chris Paul. He cannot win you a series. He can win you a game or two where he's great, both Westbrook. And I saw this point get brought up by Bill Simmons earlier today. It's an interesting one. Who's actually gotten better this year on the Thunder? Yeah, nobody. How many guys have taken that step forward? Sure, there's one or two guys that maybe have gotten a little bit better, but at the same time, it's been all Westbrook every single game. And that's good enough to get you 50 wins in a season. I mean, 45 to 50 wins in a season. But you're not winning a title with that. So what do you do if you're Oklahoma City? Because Westbrook's great, but he can't have the ball in his hands as much as he does right now. There's got to be something they have to do to change their offense. Because you look at Harden versus Westbrook. And Harden was finding open shooters. He found Lou Williams. He found Eric Gordon. He found Ariza. He found Ryan Anderson. That was actually a team. And it's not like those guys are incredible. I mean, Eric Gordon hasn't done much in the last several years. Lou Williams is a good scorer. Ryan Anderson, he's fine. But these guys aren't amazing. It's Harden that's making them better. Westbrook wasn't making that many players better. Yeah, uh, it, it's and you know what though I don't blame Westbrook for playing the way that he does given the lack oh, of options and given that this is clearly deployed by Billy Donovan. It, it, he can't be going rogue. No one would be going rogue this extreme with the usage rate that he has. This is clearly signed off on by the head of their basketball organization. I think for the Thunder, it remains to be seen what direction they go with this team. But I think they're starting to see now that while this was a great story in a once-in-a-lifetime season, this is the end of the road. This is where all roads will lead if you go this route time and time again. The Rockets side, though, Brandon, I think, I put it this way, they'd be a frustrating team to root for, for all Houston fans out there, because they're a team that is the epitome of a team that goes hot and cold, the, the run team. In every one of the Thunder games that they won, they blew a substantial lead, and they also had about a 10-0 run throughout the course of the game at some point, too. So if you're on the Rockets or a supporter, you're always in every game, but if you're playing against them, you know that there's going to be a chance to come back in the game, and they will let you back into it. Yeah, not only that, but they also started really poorly in a lot of those games. Oklahoma City was leading Houston in the first quarter, and you can't do that time and time again in the playoffs. In game one or game two, sure, but if you continue to go at, do it game three, game four, game five, where you're falling behind in the first quarter and you put yourself in that big hole, you're not going to be able to bank on coming back every single time in the fourth quarter because there's not going to be a guy like Russell Westbrook that's going to be shooting 
10 to 12 times in the quarter and only making two or three shots. That's not going to happen in the next round. It's not going to happen the round after that. It's not going to happen when you face Golden State. There's not going to be one player that's going to try and take over with Westbrook chucking threes. So the Rockets have to be a better team. And if there's one team that has been exposed, I think it's Houston. Yeah. I, I just don't know how far they can go. I know they're a great story. They were great in the regular season. But how far can this Mike D'Antoni offense go? Yeah, That's the, the question. The one last thing I want to say is if they play, if it is Denver-San Antonio next round, and, and given how San Antonio has looked great and they are a favorite, is Houston – I think the Westbrook or the uh, Harden ankle injury that he's kind of mentioned but not letting on, if, if that could be a big factor because if there's one thing Popovich can do, it's expose flawed defenders' injuries on the other team. So that'd be something to monitor. I know he's played great, you know, is able to overcome an injury as good as anyone, but I would keep a lookout on that if that ankle revs up as we get deeper into the playoffs. And the Spurs are great defensively, and they're also a team that could slow it down because they have Aldridge and they have Deadman, they have Kawhi, they have a bunch of guys that can slow it down, and they've also got a bunch of good defenders. So you can put a guy on Harden, maybe it's Kawhi Leonard, maybe you don't need to put Kawhi Leonard on him because you want to keep him for the offensive end, but if you need to put Kawhi on Harden, you can, and we know that it could work because look what Andre Robertson did against Harden. He completely made him look terrible. I mean, he made him look completely mortal he was going six of 20 or something against Robertson yeah. I mean that free throw shooting though damn that was ugly to see how everyone gives DJ crap but he couldn't make a free throw I mean he was two <laughs> 20 or something at one point yeah it was sad to watch but then it, again it's a script that Oklahoma City wrote that San Antonio can copy where you can put a guy on Harden and then the rest of the offense kind of is looking around at who's going to end up shooting yeah, it will be fascinating to see if that's the matchup. Well, Brandon Marcus, this was a fun NBA chat. And uh, before I let you go, as a host of your own podcast, Mostly Banner, how are things in that avenue? I think you guys are at, what, 20 episodes now? Yeah, things are good. We just posted our 20th episode today. So uh, got a chance to talk with Marcus Grant. Uh, it's the first time we've actually brought back somebody else okay. for a second time. So we'll talk. We talk some NFL draft. We preview the NFL draft. Okay, so as a guy who's from the uh, Cleveland area, it is, yeah. what the hell's going to happen with the Browns? Um, any reputable organization would take Miles Garrett first overall in that situation, right. but these are the Cleveland Browns, so who knows what's going to happen would be my answer to your question. What happens at 12 then? If you guys end up going Garrett, and I think that's going to end up happening because I think there are so many people that have already made fun of the Browns for even considering anybody else. Let's say they go Garrett at one. Do you trade up from 12 and get a quarterback, or do you just get the best player available at 12? Are you asking me what I would do or what I yeah, think Yeah, absolutely. You're do. the Browns yeah. fan. So I'm, you know, I'm, I say that because I wouldn't trade up, but I think they will trade up. That, that's so? the pulse I'm getting is, well, I should say this. They're going to try to get Trubisky. I think he's the guy that they have circled, and take that for what you want if, you're, if, you, if anybody's a fan or not of him. Gross. But I don't think they're going to be able to move up higher than about seven or eight so if he's still there then that's when i think they try to move up if not <clears throat> at that 12 position i'd love it if one of those receivers felt felt me or even an oj howard because they need offense too you know so i i think there's those players there's the impact players like adams or, or hooker if they could fall but you know there's a lot of needs so i i don't think <laughs> i don't think quarterback's the one you address just yet given how weak this class is yeah and hopefully they don't mortgage their future 
by trading up from 12 to 8 or something. I mean, it's not worth giving up that much to move up three or four spots with yeah. a quarterback that you don't know is going to end up actually panning out. Can I just say one thing? I know we always look for next year. As Browns fans, it's always a wait till next year. But I'm going to say on record now that I'm all in on Sam Darnold as the next yeah, quarterback. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Let's Fight go. on. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready for that. Cody Kessler can back him up. It'll be great. We can just have USC uh, East. You know, or Midwest. Go so. ahead and draft a Dory Jackson, and we've got ourselves a squad. Yeah, we'll, we'll do something. I don't know. But, all right, Brandon Marcus, thanks for joining the show. This was fun. Hope to have you on soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Always great chatting with Brandon Marcus, host of Mostly Banner Podcast. You can find that on iTunes and the voice of Cal State Northridge baseball, softball, and a producer editor at the NFL Network. It's always good chatting with him. We chatted before the NFL draft, which we'll be breaking down next week. The Browns did take Miles Garrett. They got two other first-round picks as well. Mitch Trubisky to the Bears. That's the taste of what we're going to be talking about next week on the Money Mitch Effect. And while I'm here, while we have some time to chat, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the NHL playoffs, which is passion of mine and I hope that any of you listening out there at least are open to the idea of caring about hockey unlike some you know, major network news that we've seen in the last few days downsizing some of their hockey department but I digress I want to talk about the NHL playoffs as we've started the second round of action each series each of the final eight teams has played a game we're in the conference semifinal round one game each in all the series and I want to spend a few moments talking about each series starting with the Western Conference, and that first series was Blues Predators, with the Predators winning 4-3 on the road over St. Louis in a very odd, wacky game for a lot of reasons. The Predators get the win, and they're now undefeated again, still undefeated in the playoffs, five straight games, three of them on the road. They win 4-3 to in a game that they were actually up 3-1 to in. But the big story here, you know, thoughts and prayers, everybody out there is uh, in the hockey community is pulling for Kevin Fiala, who broke his femur in the game against the Blues, the young Swiss forward who's had a pretty good playoff run. A hit with Joe Edmondson of the Blues, a defenseman, which I'm just going to say right now was not dirty. Happens in hockey. It's unfortunate. It's one of the more dangerous plays, and, and I liken it to the fact that the boards don't give. You know, you're playing in a controlled area. There's no sideline. There's no room to kind of cushion the blow. He got hit pretty hard, two big guys running into each other, and you know when, when you lose an edge, when you go down, which happens, you'd hope that it's not an area so compact to the boards. He was hit pretty hard, and he was hurt, and they had to ambulance him out. It actually caused a delay, and when the delay came back, the Predators scored pretty quick. They, they were very good on the power play and special teams. The Blues, I would say very, very uh, honestly, controlled most of the action on 5-on-5, five five, but the problem in these series that why it is an optimistic reason to look at the Blues, but the problem is Pekka Rene is still playing great. The Blues are still having trouble with him. They, they scored a couple goals late, but they could have easily scored a few more if a lesser goalie was in there. Game two is a big one. Now, I know everyone in St. Louis and, and a couple other series that we're going to get to that lost home ice are fine. They say we win game two, we go forward, and you know it's 1-1, it's a series. Well, that's the pressure. You know, the Predators are reminding me, and I know we're not there yet, but they're reminding me of that 2012 LA Kings team that was also an 8 seed, a traditional one in that regard before the Bettman playoff rules took into effect. But they were a playoff team that came in hot, got a lot of momentum beating the one seed and beating them in quick fashion. The Kings took out Vancouver in five games 
the Predators sweeping the Blackhawks. So if you remember from that series, and I'm going to test your knowledge here, the Kings won a very close game over St. Louis that could have gone either way. And I was actually living in the city of St. Louis at the time, and most residents were feeling good. They had their Ted Drews and their toasted ravioli, and they were thinking, hey, we're fine. You know, we just got to win game two. And they would have been right if they didn't get absolutely beaten down in game two by those Kings. So there's no guarantees in this series. The Blues absolutely have to win. It's a must-win game for them in game two. They don't want to go back to Smashville, down 2-0. That place will be rocking for game three. And Pecorne is still playing lights out. It's uh, one of the more dominating series. He's reminding me of John Sebastian Jaguar as well. like to see some more Blues depth on offense. The Predators are playing tough. They're finally realizing their potential. I really wish I would have uh, had the uh, cojones to stick with them. My preseason cup finalist pick. The other series in the Western Conference, as I keep talking hockey and the Money Mitch effect, is the Ducks and the Oilers. One game in, and Anaheim is down one nothing. The Oilers won a very, very wild game at Anaheim. They win that game four to three. I think this is actually five to four. It was five to four. I'm, I'm, I'm tripping here on this, you know, evening night here. But the five four game that actually had Leon Drysdale go for four points in that game. 5-3, to three, my apologies. It was an empty net goal at the end that was scored by, uh, that Drysdale actually got a goal on. And what was interesting about that game was that there was so many runs in it. There were so many runs. Ryan Getzlaff was probably the best player on the ice outside of Drysdale. He, he carried the Ducks. He Remember a couple years ago we were questioning his heart. We were questioning if he had you know, anything left in the tank. And what we saw out of, out of Getzlav in this series is that he does, is that he's able to still score big goals, still use his muscle to get where he wants on the ice. And again, the Ducks were like the Blues. They were controlling the action for five on five. You thought for most of that game they would be fine. But the Oilers, while they're a young team, they're drenched with talent. You could find a first-round pick, a top five, maybe first overall pick on any one of their lines. It's free money at this point. We know about how good Connor McDavid is, and I'm going to get to him in a second. But Drysdale was third overall in the 2014 draft. You know, Eberle was a high pick as well. Ryan Nugent Hopkins was one overall. This team is loaded up front, and getting Lukic will combat some of the size that they have. But we got to start giving credit to Cam Talbot because he's been the biggest difference maker outside of McDavid for this team this series. They didn't really have goaltending before him. Now that they have him and Adam Larson, who scored two goals and maybe really question my reaction to the Taylor Hall trade. I was critical of the deal for the Oilers, but you know they needed defense, and sometimes you have to give a little more to get something that's a pressing need. They were loaded on offense. They didn't really need Hall as much as they needed something on defense. Larson's done a good job, and he scores two goals last uh, two nights ago, I should say, so yeah, that was a good fit in there. McDavid's going to be battling Ryan Kessler all ice. If you watch some of the videos there, Connor McDavid can't breathe. I mean, if he goes to the bathroom, Ryan Kessler's going to flush it. That, that's all I'm saying. He is all over him. They're dancing on the ice. But I think McDavid's going to figure out a way to, to get free a little bit. It's going to be tough. This is what Kessler does. He shadows Kopitar, Taves, you name it. That's his job to be that defensive forward, Selkie uh, Award winner in the past. And I think he is going to be a very, very tough matchup. Ducks should be fine. Again, like the Blues, they can't lose game two. But the thing about the Ducks in this series is they have such a physical edge. I think that's what we're going to see. I think it's going to be a Rock'em Sock'em Robots game, too. I do expect the Ducks to win that one. That thing was Nashville game is too much of a coin flip for me. But I like the Ducks to even the series, get back into it. Ricard Raquel, I want to see a big game out of you. And Jacob and Jakob Silverberg, too. I think some of those European guys can be in store for some big games. 
All right, Eastern Conference, quick thoughts on that. I want to first touch on the Rangers-Centers. It was the only game, one, in which home ice was held. It was the Centers scoring late. They were down one to nothing in that game. Late in the second period, they get a quick goal to tie it up. Going into the third, it's a battle. It's a war of attrition. Both goaltenders, Hank Lundquist for the Rangers and Craig Anderson for the Centers, were playing great. But at the end, it was a fluky bounce that won the game. And unlike the other two games, I think this was a back-and-forth game that was each team was trading shots. You weren't sure who the better team was in this game. But like hockey is, it's a game of bounces. And Eric Carlson, who has been just lethal all postseason, what he does is throws the puck at the net, gets a screen, and it deflected into the net. And I'll say this first and foremost. you got to create your own luck. It's a heads-up play by Carlson. Lundqvist played great, but in that moment, the Rangers didn't help him out. A free screen in front of the net. Carlson had the puck with too much time to operate, and he just threw the puck on net, hoping something good would happen, and it did. The way Lundqvist is playing, though, I'm going to say this might be our our most even series of, the, of this round of the playoffs because I don't know that you could count the Rangers out of any game, and Ottawa has a tendency to... I want to say play down at times. That would be the best way to put it. Their power play has been up and down. They're an inconsistent team. And the Bruins fighting back. You know, I don't think, I think those Senators are better when they're facing some adversity. You know, when they get a lead, when they, you know, when they get that 2-3 that goal lead or 2-3 game lead, have you, in a series, they tend to struggle. So I don't think they're going to be as comfortable in the 1-0 scenario. I think the Ranger offense could wake up, and I, and I do like them to tie it up. Lastly, Capitals, Penguins. I mean, I know we're all hockey fans. I know there's a lot of good series to choose from, but if you're not amped up for this one, I mean, this is outside of people that live or support the teams, that the aforementioned teams, this is the series to follow. Capitals and Penguins, and the Penguins win game one, three to two. And it was an interesting game, two nothing Penguins, two goals early in the second period, which I'll get to in a second. Capitals tie it up with a goal by Ovechkin and the second. A, another goal by Kuznetsov and the dancing bird. I mean, he was doing the capital bird wave. I, I don't know if it was him being trying to imitate a bird, mocking the penguins, or give a tribute to more staying the time. You know, hey, hallelujah. Okay, but anyway, I, I think the Capitals, and then Bonino scores the game-winning goal on a nice stretch pass that started with Ian Cole in the defensive zone. But let me just break it down like this. Sidney Crosby, two goals on one shift in the second period. The Capitals lost this game on one shift. And it's so, so fitting in the game of hockey because I had a coach tell me this a long time ago. Hockey is a game that takes an entire game to win, but one shift, one bad play to lose. And the, and the Capitals did not come. It was the first shift of the second period. Crosby comes down, you know, snipes on a one-timer, and then buries a rebound in front of the net. And for Sidney Crosby, who is as good as any player who's played probably since Mario Lemieux retired, I would, I would venture to say that's a yes, and probably a top-10 player of all time, you got to be ready to play every shift. I mean, it's common sense against that team. I mean, the Capitals play good for most of this game. They play great for large stretches of it. Marc-Andre Fleury was great for Pittsburgh, kept a lot of goals out of the net. He was, he was playing vintage. It was a vintage flower performance, not the one where he's letting in everything into the six and seven holes. But, man, you got to be ready to play against Crosby. He's too good. If you take a shift off like it seemed the Capitals did, you know, it can come back to, to burn you. And while they did battle, and it was good to see, they're not ready to roll over. Uh, the play that Bonino beat, he split the defenseman. He had Shad and Kirk up front, Orpik on the back end, and they had the numbers. They just got caught flat-footed. Again, it's a simple mistake. It's one that happens in hockey. 
but it happens in the blink of an eye, and you might get away with this nine times out of ten. You might get away with this against 30 teams and against 28 other teams in the NHL. All it takes is that one team, that one special player like Crosby, you know, that one that one break, and, and you could lose a game. So, look, I know the Capitals had that long series against the Maple Leafs. They played on, uh, set, I think it was Sunday. So they've had a, a few days off, but not a lot. We'll see if they bounce back. I think they will. I'm optimistic. I think it is the Capitals' year, despite the curse talk that you may have heard. And I know how game the Penguins are. But the one thing that I'll also say is that there are some vulnerabilities on the defense you're starting to see. You didn't really see it in Columbus, but Crystal Tang being out is going to be a big loss. He's not only their best defender, but he headmans the puck. He sets the breakout. He can be a one-man breakout like the elite defenseman. And he logs upwards of 25-27 minutes a game this time of year. So it could be a big loss, but Kessel, Crosby, Malkin, I mean, I don't know about me back there, but you can put a lot of defensemen back there and be okay if you got Sid and, and Gino leading the show. And uh, fast, Phil. I won't say fat, Phil. He's not eating hot dogs yet. He's in, he's in training mode. But this is a tough team. This is going to be a great series. I'm just happy that we have eight teams left. That's unpredictable. Anything can happen. I know the Penguins have won two cups, but if you look around the board, I don't really think you see many others. I know Ottawa has zero. The Rangers haven't won since 94. Um, the Capitals are still looking for their first. Edmonton, they're, they're trying to throw it back to the, to the Messier post-Gretzky days. And then Gretzky, you know, Messier got one there. Um, you know, Nashville, no, Blues, no. So, wow. And the Ducks have one in 07. So, this is wide open. I think it's great for the game. I think other sports can, uh, you know, take a little lesson from it. I know we talked basketball on the show earlier, and I like basketball, too. I'm one of the few that, you know, a hockey fan that also likes basketball. But, you know, the unpredictability factor of the NHL playoffs and the grueling nature of it. Last thing, Joe Thornton. Jesus. I mean, I know, and, and we talk about how tough hockey players are, and I'm actually one of the ones that doesn't like to bring it up because I think it should be understated that they are tough, that they go play through things that a lot of other athletes wouldn't do. Joe Thornton played that series in their first-round loss to Edmonton with a torn ACL-MCL, and he played. And he played because, and I, and I don't know Joe Thornton. I haven't met him. I know what he's done. I know he's a Hall of Famer. I know he's the best passing big man, big forward, power forward. Is that right? Best big passing power forward I've ever seen in my lifetime. But I know, I, I would venture to say he did it because the boys in that locker room because the goal that they have because he thinks if he's breathing and if he's able to put the skates on and do anything that can help the team that would help his brothers he'll do it and that's what it's all about so i, I know the pain must have been excruciating he's a tough guy he's tougher than just about anyone that it would see now in this league but there are a lot of tough guys in the nhl and um yeah it was just remarkable to see logan tour as well i want to give a shout out to him too because he played that series and a lot of the end of the regular season with a jaw that needed to be surgically repaired, with teeth that were being held up by glue and some chicken wire. So uh, shout out to him as well. That's going to do it for the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Brandon Marcus for coming on the show and listening to me talk about hockey because you know that's kind of my thing. You can find all the episodes of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. It'll pop right up. We're rolling. What is it, 78 episodes in the series? I go twice a week, and, and it's grueling at times, but you know the rewards are good. I like talking sports. I do this in my spare time. And uh, I'm glad you're listening. You can follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, for all your social media needs. And I told you next week, we got some shows planned. we got to keep going on these basketball hockey playoffs, but there's going to be a draft recap show. And if the first day is anything like the next two are going to be, we got a lot to talk about. So I'm going to have to go into my Rolodex and find some of my star-studded all-star guests to compose to, to comprise that panel. I'm tripping over my words. I'm so excited for this first round. Three picks for the Browns. Wow. 
That's the Money Mitch Effect for the day. I'm Mitch Michaels. Thanks for listening. Hope you like it. Hope to hear you again. Hope you hear me again soon. Until next time, keep watching sports. This is fun.